0: ...produced as the husband of Beth Severson. That's just really wonderful. I am uh, thrilled to be here again. This is actually my third Sunday with you. I was here when Beth spoke, and we enjoyed that time together. And then I came back to the midst of it was the exploring, exploring God series, and uh, really enjoyed that time with you. I um, have traveled some with Oann, and she said to me a number of years ago, she said, Faith Covenant is one of the healthiest churches that I have ever been a part of. And... Uh, Just grieves or, you know, cherishes her time here. Now she and Jim are living in Florida. But uh, this is a, it is a joy to be here. My, I love to um, talk about missions. Uh, I, as a pastor for 27 years, was just passionate about that. And now I get to travel uh, around to churches around the globe and uh, see what God is doing and come back and talk about those things uh, with congregations and then help congregations fine-tune what they want to do in regards to serve globally. And all of that brings a joy to me. I actually got to listen to Pastor Nate's sermon uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was on uh, January 13th when you did the one on Every Member Missionary. And, and in it, as Nate began, he said, this is probably the most important series I have ever preached so far here at Faith. And when I heard that, it was like, whoa. Well, uh, that, that is important. Uh, this is something to take notice of. So you see, pastors don't just preach to the masses. They preach to a community, right? Uh, and you can hear a whole bunch of sermons, but the reason why we have pastors is because they live with us, and they listen, and they discern, and they lead, and they say, I think this is where God is leading us. Uh, so, so this matters, this series that you are in and it matters to you as a congregation. So my prayer has been that I would walk into a place where I'm not pastor and be able to take us to God's word again and help move along um, what your pastor has discerned as a calling that God has for this church. So would you pray with me as we spend this time together in God's word? Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. Thank you for the power of your word and that it actually will change us, Lord that we will actually walk out of here this morning thinking differently about you, about our lives, and about the world we live in. So open our hearts, Lord, to that. Help us to be receptive to what your Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Use your word in a way that will surprise us and the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I um, uh, think that this value of uh, uh, centering on God's word is valuable. Every member a missionary, every member a minister, I understand, is part of what you were doing, uh, part of what you covered. And Nate's sermon a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, a missionary is one who is sent. So who, who is that? I wonder who that is in here. Yeah, that's right. Everybody should be raising your hand. Some, some of you were still sleeping on that one, but... But I, I, if I was listening to the same sermon you were, he says it's all of us, uh, that we're all missionaries. And, and what does that mean? Well, it means that mission is important. And mission is important in this series because mission isn't one of several values for the church. It's the central value. You say, you're just saying that. You're just saying because that because your job is missions. No, I'm actually looking at this book. And it says this. It says we're all sent by God. Let me see if I can explain that to you. I've always been surprised and, how, and delighted in worship as I've come here. You you pay attention to it. You give it serious thought. I heard the choir last time I was here, and I'm looking forward to. Am I? Are we hearing them again? Uh, you 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 give serious thought to us. this this um, worship team. If John wasn't up there, the average age would have been what? And you know what? It wasn't that they were like, oh, those cute young people. It was like, wow, uh, you, you guys did a great job in leading us into worship. I, I just have to say, this is just a great, but, but I have to say one more thing. How many of you think worship will be better in heaven? I know it's a hard one this morning, but yeah, I want every hand raised. Okay, everybody, we, we think worship is going to be better in heaven, okay? And I don't know what you have as far as small groups and things like that. But I have another question for you. How many of you think community, without all of the misunderstandings and the heartaches that they sometimes, that accompany them, that community will actually be better in heaven? It will, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, how many of you think that knowing God will be easier in heaven? Yeah, I mean, you got great teaching here, but it's true. So, so think about this. If worship is better in heaven, if community is better in heaven, if knowing who God is is better in heaven, then why in the world are we still here? I mean, those of us that have gone through the challenges of life, we feel that heartache even more deeply than our young people who don't get the pain and the travail of life yet. Why why in the world are we still here? Why? I can only think of one reason. It's because God still has us here to be on mission. It's the only reason that makes sense. So anybody in the room not breathing right now, you're the only person that God's not talking to. That God hasn't called into this place. So the purpose of any church is God's mission. If we're convinced of, if we are not convinced of this, we will inadvertently create a community of faith that's missing the point. And those folks that started this church back in 1966 would be filled with dismay if this was a community that missed the point of the reason why we're still here. This series is about every member... Siri just woke up on me there... This series is about every member a missionary and every member being sent. Not only are you missionaries and sent to the places around here, and you are doing that. I'm I'm hearing what you're doing, and I'm just so thrilled by what you're doing in this area. But it's also every nation needs to hear the gospel, not only in our community, but around the world. You know, we know this. It's Acts 1-8, isn't it? Go into all the world, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And this just isn't a progression. You know, first of all, we go to Jerusalem, and then we get to Judea. It's not a progression because you don't have to go through Samaria to get to the uttermost parts of the world. No, this is actually a portfolio. This is a portfolio of mission endeavors. Jerusalem, the people like us near us, and they'll come into this church, and we learn hospitality and grace as we welcome them in. Judea, people like us, that aren't going to come to this church, so we go out into the community and we represent the gospel in those places and those spaces. Samaria, people unlike us that actually live near us that we actually might be blind to until we took out a demographic survey and discovered, whoa, I didn't know people from places around the world actually live among us. That's Samaria. Out of most parts of the world, well, that's what we're talking about here as well. So the mission that God has for us is Jerusalem and Judea, people like us, near us, or next to us. And Samaria, in the outermost parts of the world, people completely unlike us. Why is God interested in both of these things? And particularly, we get uncomfortable with mission, and we say, well, isn't there enough to do already around here? And isn't intercultural mission more harmful than good? I mean, I read when helping, her. who hasn't? You see, we're asking those kind of questions. We're wondering, why does God have all of these things here? Well, God's purpose for every church is God's global mission. If we don't embrace both, we miss the point of the church. Now, the rest of my time this morning, I want to spend on a person who actually missed the point. And the person who missed the point was illustrated so well by Peter or or Jonah, excuse me, Jonah over here. Uh, and um, it was really so well done, I feel like I can almost just sit down, but pastors don't do that. If they've still got more time, they're going to use it. So I'm going to use it this morning, and I want to just make two points for for you this morning based on Jonah, who clearly didn't hear the sermon on January 13th. He wasn't in church on the 13th, and I'm guessing he didn't listen to it online as well particularly that part where, where Pastor uh, Nate said, we are missionaries sent by the master because there was nobody telling Jonah what to do on the day he boarded the boat and headed someplace else. So here's a person, if we were going to chart the profile of a wonderful missionary example, Jonah would never make the list. He He just would, he just would not. I want to make two points this morning. And uh, the first is this. The reason why we do intercultural mission is because the gospel is more than provincial. And the second point is this. The reason why we do intercultural mission is because growth is more than parochial. Now you say, Mark, that was kind of clever. The two Ps there, you just introduced them, right? Because the pastors do that all the time. I actually mean it with those words. And those are great words, and I want to dig into what does it mean for the gospel to be more than provincial, and for our growth to be more than parochial. Okay? Are you ready to go with me on this? Let's look at this first point of it. The gospel is meant for everyone. Jonah was just waking up to this in chapter four of the book, we, uh, the story we know. The gospel, in fact, is meant to change everything, it's the best thing that can happen to a community. The gospel is the best thing. That can happen to a community. We see this in chapter 3. And we actually see it in chapter 4. You know there's the last, the second to last sentence of Jonah. I don't know that we feel comfortable even preaching on it. Did, did you notice? Let's just read. If you've got your Bible or your smartphones, go, go to verse 11. God is having a conversation with Jonah. And Jonah is really upset right now. And, and towards the end of this conversation. I'll start in verse 10. But the Lord said... You have been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it or you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. You're concerned about that. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Do you see what the gospel does here? The gospel is concerned. God's concern is not only for the people, but he's concerned for their livelihood. He's concerned for their flourishing. I mean, you don't see this in prayer letters, do you? How many people came to faith? And how many animals? Please list the animals. But we see it here. We see that God's concern is not only for the people, but for the economy of the place, for the the flourishing of the people, friends, The gospel is meant to change everything. (laughs) The gospel is the best thing that can happen to a community. I've witnessed this. I was just down in Ecuador just a couple of months ago. We had a team down there, and while they were there, martial law was declared because 20,000 indigenous people were going to march into the city of Quito, Because they they had been marginalized and they were upset by what had happened. And do you know what the covenant churches did? And maybe others too, but but we were hearing from the covenant churches. You know what they did? They opened their buildings up. They brought food and supplies and medical supplies and beds and mats because 20,000 people were marching into Quito with nothing but the clothes on their back. Is that because they wanted to get politically involved? No, it's because they were people. (laughs) That's what the church does. There are human beings here that have a need. And so they read this book, and this book told them to care for them. Because the gospel changes everything. The gospel is the best thing that can happen to a community. I was just in India in November with a group of people and saw a church there, an indigenous church uh, of folks from India. And, and, and you know what they're doing? They're actually walking in to the slum areas where parents, the only thing they think they can do with their kids is get them out on the street and beg and maybe make 50 cents a day. And that's enough for you. And you know what? The church is walking in. And says, Let's show us what school is. Do you know what it is? Most parents had no clue what school was. And so they're doing preschool, kind of like exploring what this actually is. Did you know your kids actually can learn to count and to read and to get an education? And if you're willing to forego the 50 cents a day that they can make in the slums, they might actually have a life because the gospel changes everything. The gospel is the best thing that can happen to a community. I was in Mexico City first week of December and saw a church down there that's pouring all of its resources into a facility for young women, less than 18 years old, who have been trafficked because their parents think it's the best way for them to finance everything they need. And so they send their young girls away and expect the money to come in. And we're involved with brothers and sisters in Mexico City for whom the gospel has changed everything and these young girls are beginning to realize that the gospel is the best thing that could happen to a community well i um i want to show you just a brief video of an exa- another example of that from egypt uh, where we have, uh, the, the, the church there has just, it just responded to the character of the gospel. I think it was probably um, uh, coming up on three years ago now, on Palm Sunday, when in Alexandria, Egypt, I've got a really good friend who's there, and he told me about what had happened there. In Alexandria, Egypt, there was a bombing. We actually walked into the courtyard. You see... Um, outside of the, the metal detector... Oh, by the way, did you, did you go through the metal detector on your way in here this morning? Oh, you know what? In, in the global church, that happens fairly often. In fact, in Egypt now, in, in Alexandria, there's a metal detector right by the gate to the courtyard, and there's one 50 yards earlier in because seven, six or seven people died one Palm Sunday morning when someone was stopped at the gate right by the courtyard. The pictures are actually right there in the courtyard. But in the midst of it, the whole nation of Egypt was stunned by what had happened. And, and BB, the equivalent of CNN in, in, um, in Egypt did an interview with the woman who lost her husband and her children who lost their dad. And, and unless you know Arabic, you won't understand, but the audio's interesting. You'll just have to read the subtext. And my apology for those of you for whom the the letters are are difficult to read, but I want you to just see this with me: the response of the anchor of Egyptian um, news to this interview.
1: I'm happy, I'm so excited, I'm so happy about this work. I'm telling God, "Lord, please forgive me. You're absent, my son. You're absent. You're absent. I'm so happy. But I'm بطلب من ربنا أن يعني يسامحهم ويحاول يفكروا شوية يفكروا يفكروا سدّيني لأن هم لو فكروا إحنا ما بنعمل لهمش أي حاجة سدّيني ما بنعمل لهمش حاجة لو لهم فكروا تاني فكروا أنتم تعملوه ده صح ولا غلط وربنا يسامحكم وإحنا مسامحينكم بأمانة بقولها مسامحكم وسدّيني لأن تحطتو لي أبو ولادي في مكان وكنت أتمنى العمر كله سدّيني بأمانة يعني أنا عمري أنا بفتخر بيه وبتمنى أكون أنا جنبه سدّيني منش. وأشكرك يا حبيبتي أقباط مصر مصنوعين من فلاز أقباط مصر مئات السنين بيتحملوا كوارث ومصايب كتيرة القبط المصري يعشق تراب بلده القبط المصري يتحمل كل شيء عشان وطنه و... و... وايه كميه التسامح اللي عندكم دي لو اعدائكم يعرفوا قد انتم متسامحين بجد ما كانش حد يصدق ده انا لو ابويا والله ما اقول كده ابدا الناس دي عندها كميه تسامح عن حق عن عقيدة دول بني أدمين والله مصنوعين من مادة تانية الله يرحمه عن من سيم بطل وشهيد ومثل أعلى للي قاعد كل واحد في البلد يقول لك يا البلد دي ايه والبلد دي ماشيه ازاي البلد دي ماشيه كده البلد دي بالصبر بالجلد بالتحمل بالست دي بالعيال اللي خلف Dorobahum وعمل
0: رجاله holy spirit generated capacity to forgive followed by 12 seconds of stone cold silence from a Muslim broadcaster who doesn't know what to say next. And then he preaches a sermon. It begins with, The Egyptian Christians are made of steel. Now, we know that's not true. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the all-surpassing power is from God. But that's how it seems when, when brothers and sisters allow the gospel to be embedded in them in a way that the world sees the glory of God. The gospel changes everything. The gospel is the best thing that can happen in a community. And you know what's good for us? For us as those who live in the West, for whom there's oftentimes this message of make sure you pay back, don't let them... And then we see brothers and sisters that are actually teaching us what it means to be characterized by faith. And the fact that the gospel went to Egypt and that the people of Egypt lived it out means that as we say that, we can be inspired by, instructed by our brothers and sisters who display the gospel in such a way that we benefit from this. You know, it says in Revelation 21 this picture of heaven, and it says that the glory of the nations will be there. You see, the character of who God is is not only embedded in us, we're not only made in the image of God, but it seems that God gives cultures and nations of the world the capacity to display characteristics of the image of God that represent the glory of God, not only in heaven, but to those of us even beforehand. Why? Why do we do this global mission thing? It's because the gospel is more than provincial. It is big, and it changes everything. It's the best thing that can happen to a people. And I know you know this. You're invested in it. You're invested in Brad Casper in the Czech Republic and, and the Clausens in Mexico and the Bakers who are just beginning their work in Middle East, North Africa. Why Why do this? It's because the gospel transforms. Now, here's the irony here. Jonah knew that the gospel transformed. It's why he refused to go. May God give us Jonah's certainty and not his self-centeredness. I want to explore that a little bit before I'm done. You see, this self-centeredness is exactly where Jonah is still living. Chapter 4 should be no big surprise to us. We don't even know how Jonah's going to respond in the end. He's just kind of left there. God asks this million-dollar question followed by the conclusion of the book. And one wonders what's going to happen to him. But it's no surprise that he's in this place of self-centeredness. God tells him to go And he flees. He refuses to obey. There's a storm that comes up. And the solution that's discerned is that Jonah has to get out of the boat. So (coughs) what does Jonah do? Jonah says, okay, I've I've discerned that um, I've disobeyed and I need to get out of the boat. So I want you to all throw me over. You know, Jonah, have you ever heard of Jumping. No, let's have a ceremony here, and uh, I will walk to the side, and you will throw me over, and the ceremony will be titled, Jonah does the self-sacrificial thing. No, 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 Jonah, just just jump. That's all you need to do. And yet it becomes all about him again. And we know that when we get to Jonah chapter chapter 2, and there is this prayer in Jonah chapter 2, and I mean, it sounds so elegant and beautiful and humble, But if you actually look at those texts and you piece them together and you see what they're talking about, Jonah is engaged in self-praise again. And it's even clear by the text, even if you don't do the exegetical work, it's clear here in the context. The last verse of Jonah chapter 2 is this, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Our Jonah said something more pleasant than that. This text says Jonah actually that the, the fish actually got so sick it threw up. I mean, these are beautifully written stories. And you know what the point of this is? Jonah, your words make me so sick and the fish so sick that even the fish will puke. Because there's just this sense of self-centered. And, and because in chapter 3, God has to tell him again, well, you already knew. No, Jonah's engaged in this self-centered Pretentious life. God expects, Jonah expects God's concerns should be about him too. God says, shouldn't I care about something more than you? And it's met by silence. There's a person here, a follower of God, devoted to God in so many ways in the life, who refuses to obey. It's all about him, and he digs in stubbornly. What do you do with someone who struggles with obedience, who struggles with self-centeredness? And who gets stubborn and digs in and says, I don't need to grow anymore. Wow, that hits a little close to home, doesn't it? That actually sounds like me some days. Don't necessarily obey. I'm inclined to think it's all about me. And I get stubborn and say, I don't have anything more to learn. What does God do with people like that? (laughs) Well, here he sends them on mission trips. That's, that's, that's what he does. Why does he do that? Because our growth is more than parochial. There's a piece of it that is learned in the context of Christian community, places of faith and what that means. I mean, we learn in this place. We have Sunday school classes and we have Bible studies and we meet people for coffee and we dig into God's word in those places. And those are places of rich growth. But are we missing this other part of growth? God actually intends our interaction with the peoples of the world to grow us up. Imagine that, that God actually intends that. And we shouldn't be surprised by this, actually, because you look at the life of Jesus and his discipleship of those people. Dr. Gallagher, who's a professor at Wheaton here, has has, has said far more eloquently than anybody I've ever uh, listened to, has noted the times where Jesus takes his disciples into intercultural situations so that they can grow up. I mean, some of them are obvious. The Syrian woman, the Samaritan woman, the centurion man. But it's more than just those obvious episodes. It's over and over again where Jesus takes his disciples out of the parochial places they live in order that they actually might grow up. When have we done that? God intends to send us into the world because it's a place where he disciples us. God's plans for you and me are far more robust than a discipleship journal or a small group at Starbucks. This is how he does it. Jonah was called to venture out of the neighborhood. Fans of Hobbit will recall the beginning of Bilbo Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Adventures requiring him to leave the Shire. It was a daring thing to do, but his life was never the same. His journey came by way of invitation, ours comes by way of expectation. God expects us to intersect with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Certainly, as a church, and maybe even in your workplace. Or in your neighborhood. It's not simply because the gospel changes everything for them. But through these other places in the world. These other cultures. We begin to understand the character of who God is. Jonah is not a book about mission. It would have been over in chapter 3. Jonah is a story about discipleship. And in chapter 4 in chapter 4, God actually spends time with the person who was trying his best to follow Jesus and didn't have a clue in regards to how his own nationalism had affected his faith. Didn't have a clue the scope of mercy and would never learn it in Jerusalem. So, you see, I'm really passionate about this, friends. What are your plans as a church to not only send money places in the world, and and I'm all for that, but to actually be invested, to be participants with the brothers and sisters you have sent to those places, and to go those places as well, so that God might cause you and your church and his church to grow up. Nate said to me, there's this piece, it's called Local Church Global Impact. I love that, but you'll see I changed it around In the title, Global Church, Local Impact. God's longing for faith covenant is a level of maturity that will only be had as you choose to engage in God's world. Not just the people like you, but those thoroughly unlike you. Because in those places, you will see the messed up parts of your faith that really aren't. And in those places, you will see the glory of God like you've never seen them before. So, I'm done. There it is. I pray that as a church, you just are started with the next step in walking into that. I would like to pray for you as a congregation and as individuals as you discern... What about all of this that I said this morning is actually the Holy Spirit piercing your heart and causing you to think about changes you will make? Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church. I was delighted to hear.